May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our epistle lesson for today is a continuation of the same lesson that we've been reading as our epistle for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Perhaps you didn't notice, but we started in, uh, I think, Romans 12, and we just keep kind of marching on. Chapter 12 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. In the first week, we heard St. Paul admonishes Roman congregants to offer themselves a living sacrifice to God. Did you get that? St. Paul says, offer yourselves a living sacrifice. Remember the context of St. Paul and the Old Covenant. Sacrifice was a very familiar theme to the Old Covenant church. Honestly, in the pagan world, sacrifice was a very common theme. Everyone understood sacrifice. Today, I'm afraid we don't, particularly as North American Christians, offer it as much understand it as much as we should. All of our service to God and to others, all Christian living, if you want to put it that way, must come out of that sacrifice that St. Paul's talking about. Our worship of God, Sundays and feast days, the daily office, morning and evening prayer, and our devotional prayer life or the foundation for everything that we seek to do in our life to further the kingdom of God. If we seek to go out there and do the work of God, but we don't begin in worship and prayer, we're making a mistake. In this worship, especially Sunday mornings and feast day masses, we offer to God ourselves, as St. Paul encouraged in the first part of chapter 12 of his letter to the Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That was, I believe, two weeks ago was our reading. This sacrifice that St. Paul is talking about is the equivalent, or the equal, if you will, of the whole burnt offering of the Old Covenant. The offering was a whole animal and all of it burned up on the altar to God and it represented the the person who gave the offering and his family and God consumed the smoke of the offering and they were spiritually offering themselves to God so that God would take them up into himself and this is the whole burnt offering and this is the same idea that we have in St. Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 12. The offering itself has not gone away, but we can now offer ourselves as an unbloody sacrifice, living, right? Because it can be accepted of God by and through the bloody sacrifice of Christ. So when we offer ourselves to God, it's only because of Christ's sacrifice that God can accept it. In a sense, our offering is always made in and through Christ's offering of himself on the cross. Now this happens every time a priest celebrates the Mass. It occurs during the consecration prayers on page 81 of the prayer book. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee. 
But that sacrifice, this is where the priesthood of the believer really comes into play. That sacrifice is yours to make. I, as the priest, can say the words, but it's your heart that makes the offer, that makes the sacrifice. It's you that gives yourself to God every Sunday and every feast day as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. A good summary of a main emphasis of the daily office which relates to this unbloody sacrifice that we all have to make can be found on page 588 of the prayer book. This is a beautiful prayer. In fact, I pray it every Monday at our matin service with our students to remind them of what we're about each day. And since it is of thy mercy, O gracious Father, that another day is added to our lives, we here dedicate both our souls and our bodies to thee and thy service in a sober, righteous, and godly life, in which resolution do thou, O merciful God, confirm and strengthen us, that as we grow in age, we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is a prayer that reminds us, the whole, this is a great summary prayer of what morning and evening prayer is. It is dedication of all of ourselves, our, our, our resources, our time, our bodies, our souls, our uh, talents, our gifts, all of that every day is to be given to God for his service and the furtherance of his kingdom. With this foundation in our lives, with our daily offering to God all of who we are and what we do, and in our sacramental worship in which we repeat the old covenant whole burnt offering in and through Christ's sacrifice for us, we are able then to live the life we've been called to live as in last week's epistle lesson, we heard St. Paul encouraging the Roman Christians to serve the church with their spiritual gifts and to live and behave like a Christian. And then this week's lesson also, it gives us a continuation of the same message. Uh, please read with me through our passage in the New King James translation, which is in the Pew Bibles. I'm sorry, it was page what, Aiden? 1100 something, or did you write it down, Ward? Thank you. I think I did. Um, I think it's on page 1752. 1752, page 1752. Romans chapter 12, beginning at the second half of verse 16, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for, the good, for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This kind of living looks lovely, doesn't it? It looks actually like the peace of Christ beginning to reign in the world. And that reign of Christ in the world is being brought about by Christ's servants, his church 
as he has said it ought to and will be done. So this is front and center after the theme of worship for Christ the King Parish here on the Central Coast. This movement of the church, of our church, towards holiness, and the church, this church gathered right here in Grover Beach, California, as the agent of peace and redemption in the world, is also given a bit of emphasis in our text by Paul's use of the word evil, and that at the beginning and also at the end of the lesson. Repay no one evil for evil, he begins with, well, our lesson begins with. And then at the end, a reminder of that idea, but extrapolated even further by the command not to be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I once sat in a church in New York City, right in the middle of the anthem, the subway went by underground and the whole building shook and you could hear it. <laughs> this church, Christ the King, is to manifest the redemptive work of Christ, which starts with his incarnation, his becoming human. This is the theme that we have also in Epiphany, the coming of the light of the world into the world the coming of the king of the world into his kingdom. An epiphany means manifestation, to show forth, to make, uh, to make to appear. Our gospel lesson brings us right into the theme of epiphany. As St. John states it clearly at the end of our lesson, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the first miracle, the first presentation of who he really was and is. As one commentator puts it, Christ had not yet given any sign of the invisible and eternal glory which the evangelist St. John in his prologue had claimed for him at the beginning of the Gospel of John. He had, he had not in his own person manifested the unique majesty of his will, nor revealed the direction in which the power he wielded would most freely move. But here at this wedding in Cana, Christ manifests forth his glory, probably particularly to his disciples, and the result is that his disciples believed on him. One of the interesting things about the passage, besides the interaction Jesus has with his mother Mary, is the context for this his first miracle. So what is the context in which Jesus performs the first miracle? He and his disciples have been invited to a wedding at Cana, a town about four miles northwest of Nazareth. This seems just a normal, typical, small-town affair. Either the bride, or neither the bride, excuse me, either the bride or the groom apparently knew Jesus, very likely both and knew Jesus' family, as we see both Jesus and Mary at the wedding. The families must probably have known each other fairly well, as Jesus also brings his disciples with him, which are quite a few more mouths to feed at a wedding. At this wedding, Jesus manifests forth his glory of his own volition. In other words, this is not God speaking of his son as he is transfigured, uh, nor is it God speaking about his son as he is baptized by John. Um, and because of that, this is known as his first miracle, what Christ of his own will performs. Uh, we might 
sometimes say, well, maybe it was his mother's will, but that's a whole other discussion. And it's kind of, I think, a funny part of the, in a good sense, a funny part of the story. Interestingly, the names of the couple are not mentioned. You see, though, we can tell it's a rather local gathering. The names of the couple are not the important part of what we need to understand from the text. This is the blessing of the married state itself, as we see in the teaching on marriage from the church throughout the centuries. But this morning, the third Sunday in Epiphany, I don't believe that the married state is the focus of the text for us. Really, I think the focus of the text for us today is related to the epistle lesson, where we saw the picture of the church bringing the peace of the manifested Savior of the world to the world. The context for his first miracle, the changing of the water to the wine, is that which signifies the relationship we will have as the bridegroom, we will have as the bridegroom with the church, his bride. We are brought back to the basic relationship that God's people are blessed to have with God, a marriage covenant. So I think the emphasis for us this morning as we talk about the manifestation forth of Christ's glory, is to remember the marriage covenant that is put forward in our gospel lesson. Adam and Eve lost this relationship with God, and indeed their own marriage and marriages in general have been suffering the effects of sin ever since. Yet God chose a people with Abraham and wedded himself to this people so that they might bring the salvation of God to the world. This people fundamentally failed. But yet Christ, the true Israel, redeemed this people's mission, the Israeli mission, and became the bridegroom from the new people of God, the new bride of Christ himself. So this is our reality. This is what we have to offer the world. Come to the incarnate creator of the world and be a part of his family. Indeed, become a part of his bride. And that means joining the visible church. And then our job is to worship him foundationally and to continue to manifest forth to the world around us the incarnation of that same creator of the world. So we are about being a church here on the Central Coast, one of the very few traditional Anglican expressions of the church anywhere around here. So let me ask us all a question. Why should we attempt to replant and revive this 30-year-old expression of Anglicanism here on the Central Coast? Think about it. Please come up with a firm answer and thus discuss those answers in the days and the weeks to come. What are we about, really, this Christ the King Church thing meeting in a storefront office building? doesn't look very churchy from the outside. Yes, we worship God here. And that's foundational. That's great. Yet other churches do the same. Why does, the, why does Christ the King Parish need to exist? Why does it need to grow? I believe we need to think hardly about these questions. Obviously, I believe this church is important. Otherwise, I wouldn't be coming down. I believe you think this church is important as well. We need to be able to articulate why. Not right at this very moment, but these are questions to be thinking about. 
My friends, we are living in the most unchurched times in the history of our country. Ever. The millennial generation and Generation Z are the most unchurched generations ever to grow up in America. These are the nuns. Not as in N-U-N, but as are you this, are you this, are you this, none of the above. That group is growing radically. Are we thinking of that generation when we think about why we need to be here? For some of you, that's your peers. For many of us, those are young people. Are we thinking of our neighbors when we think about why does Christ the King need to be here? What are we offering to our neighbors, to these generations of young people? Why should they come to church? Why should they come to this church? Does this Central Coast area have more or less people worshiping God on a Sunday now than it did 30 years ago, 50 years ago? What does that mean for the spiritual realities of our neighbors and our communities around us? What does that mean for eternity for the people that we interact with on a day-by-day basis. Do we really believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Are we ready to build and participate in a church that makes that reality the center of our mission to our neighbors? Our task starts here on a Sunday morning. Worshiping God as he's asked us to worship him. This is good. We do this well. There's consistency. That's fantastic. But it continues, our task continues in our daily prayer and our devotional prayer life and probably we're all at various different stages in developing that. Our task then moves forward as we manifest forth Christ's glory to the world around us. That requires doing a bit more than showing up uh, for church on Sunday morning. Are we committed to that further task? Are we ready to do what it takes to learn new ways of doing things? To take some risks, both personally and as a parish? I pray that we move forward towards answering these questions as individual members, all of us, of this body, and also as a whole community, a parish. Let us all pray together that we might be faithful in our worship and deed and faithful in our mission to manifest Christ to the Central Coast. Amen.